please, and turn to the Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6, and take you a little moment of time into our world as of late, the latter few weeks. Um, kind of really wanted to shift my personal commitment to prepare my sermons on, sun, on Fridays. And so uh, that was typically a work day, and it's still a work day in that sense when I'm coming to the office. But I don't come in the office now because there's nobody there at home but just me and Sherry most of the time. And I can get a lot more studying done there than I can here. And I'm just going to be honest. And because uh, Sherry don't care to stop and talk to me like y'all do. Because if you see my car there, you're going to stop. And we're going to visit and everything. But uh, Sherry's got other stuff to keep her busy. And so I've really been able to really value that time personally. It's given me time to just, you know, just, just, just let the word just sink in my heart and meditate on it. And, uh, you know... Uh, really to ponder it over the, you know, kind of, it's kind of like if you cook on a, for a Sunday meal, if you put that on on a Friday or a Thursday and, uh, and you let that simmer for several days, I mean, you know, that's probably a little bit better than if you hastily put that together on a Sunday morning. And so that's kind of what it's doing for me because when I, when I do that, uh, it's preparing me for this moment. You know, I'm extracting from that text because when I get here, I'm going to give this message. I'm going to share it. But that's the moment when it feeds my own personal soul. And this subject matter today is a subject matter that I'm just so, you know, I'm passionate about. I appreciate it so much of, um, of just the connection that we have within the body of Christ. We're going to read one verse of Scripture to start off with uh, as we stand and honor the reading of Scripture. And then we're just going to glean through five other verses. And that's going to conclude but those five of the verses will be after you're seated. So it's in Galatians chapter number 6, and it's the 10th verse. We have one verse of Scripture here I want you to look at with me. Galatians 6 and 10. Here it says, as we have therefore opportunity. So that's you and I. As we collectively and individually therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. I believe that, don't you? That we should have every opportunity we can to just make a difference in the lives of men and women. But notice what he says here, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? And so let's talk about the household of faith today, if we can, the household of faith. That's what I want you to have pressed into your heart and mind today as we uh, go to the Word of God and also as we prepare here in just a few short minutes to present men and women uh, to you that are now, they've already been a part of, but they've taken a, a greater step to the connection to this household of faith. Amen. Father, I love you. Thank you that I have the privileged opportunity to be the pastor of First Assembly along with these other men and women who labor with us, God. That collectively, you have given us a great responsibility and yet at the same time a great privilege. That our lives are interwoven, intertwined, if we will. God, with men and women, Father, that are of the household of faith. A common denominator today is what we believe, who we believe in, and how we have chosen to worship you, Father. And I pray today, God, that if there are those that have been on the outskirts of this assembly, always, Father, a little bit distant, but yet still slightly connected, I pray that somehow, some way, that through the revelation of this moment, that there is a desire in their hearts as well to take the next step of uniting with the household of faith. So bless this word. Let preaching, come on somebody say this. We let preaching come easy in this house. In Jesus' name and everybody said amen and amen. 
Amen. Now, I've got a cough drop in my mouth because I have struggled a little bit with some of the sinus infection that some of you have as well. I know you're going, Pastor, and you just hugged me and shook my hand and everything, and so you'll have to deal with that on your own as you leave. And But I want to go right to this Word of God here in Galatians in this particular passage of Scripture and kind of just begin to back it up, if I can, for a moment before we tap into this 10th verse. And, you know, I'm a very pastoral at times and definitely teaching-oriented as a pastor with a preaching element. And today, this is my moment to just kind of awaken within our church family, uh, perhaps even beyond those that are, that are directly uh, members of our assembly, but those that, as I said in my prayer, that are on the outskirts, that there might be some type of, of compelling in your heart. So, you know, I want to I go to that next level. Sometimes I use the analogy of dating the church and marrying the church. And so we want to see you take that step. And uh, marry the fellowship. And so this pa- particular passage in Galatians, the book itself is, is addressed to uh, the churches of Galatia. And this is unlike some of the other epistles that Apostle Paul writes or some of the other epistles he writes. And he addresses it to the bishops and the deacons. But this one uh, is particularly to the churches, the multitude of churches that are in the um, region that is part of what we would call modern day Turkey. And in this epistle, and this, I've been studying this epistle because it connects to how I've been te- why I taught this past Wednesday uh, on, uh, in our lesson. The Apostle Paul moves very quickly in this epistle to the dissension that had been created by a particular group known as the Judea- Judaizers in history. The Judaizers were those that professed faith in Christ but still found themselves with an allegiance to the law. And so they were coming from a Jewish background. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they wanted not only the Jews, but they also wanted the Gentiles that had come to faith in Christ to circumcise their children and then walk in the precepts of the law. That's kind of the context of the book. And Paul is swiftly addressing this, and especially in chapters 3 and 4 and 5. He, uh, he exhorts the church to stand fast. I love that verse. To stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. Where Christ has made us free. And don't become entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And the yoke of bondage that he's referencing is the Mosaic law. That don't become entangled with that once again. Paul exhorts the Galatians to not use their liberty for an occasion of the flesh. It's a, it's a struggle. I'm going to just go ahead. Like take, for example, our American culture today. We, have, we really thank God for the freedoms that we have as Americans. But I tell you what, our forefathers cautioned us that the, the American um, government would not be able to restrain people that function in unbridled, unbridled lust and passions that were not bridled by religion and morality. Well, we see that happening all around us, don't we? Well, that could even happen in the context of the church. Paul's kind of exhorting the church here in Galatians 5. He says, you've got this liberty in Christ. However, don't let your liberty, don't use it to just serve the flesh. Rather, by love, serve one another. And I thought about that for a moment. I thought, you know what? That's every person that's under the sound of my voice that you're involved in the, in the ministries. We have a plurality of ministries. I'm not saying we have... A, A hundred ministries, but we have enough ministries that it takes a lot of people to serve for this body to do what it does. And there are men and women that volunteer every week and serve in these ministries. And every time that you do, what you're doing is you're using your liberty to serve someone else. 
There are not, there's some adults that are not in this room right now today because they're keeping the nursery-age children. Or there are some men, women, that might be walking the corridors of this facility right now to watch over us in a security sense so that you and I can worship God today, uh, you know, in a safe environment. I appreciate every person, no matter what it is, whether you stood out there and greeted someone or whether you stood on this platform and you led us in worship today, no matter what your calling is, I'm just grateful you have chosen to use your liberty to serve one another. Isn't that powerful? Paul warns the church, though, in this passage in chapter 5. He said, be, be, be cautious because if you bite and devour one another, I know many of you have been a part of churches like that. Church can be a contentious place at times, can't it? Right? And it, can, and it can do a lot of harm. Paul said, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one another, of another. And I thank God for a unified fellowship. And I think Joe was echoing some of that as he exhorted a few moments ago. A fellowship of men and women that have, you know, I can't say they're not schisms in the body. I think schisms sometimes doesn't necessarily mean that you're divided in the sense with the antagonism in your heart. But we all have cultural distinctions at times. And, but at the same time, this is a unified fellowship that walks in harmony. And I'm so grateful for that, that, that we are people that lift up one another. So Paul closes this particular exhortation with strong instruction concerning the works of the flesh versus the works of the Spirit. This is at the end of chapter number 5. And I'm saying all that because I, I want you to understand the context of what he writes this little exhortation in chapter 6 out of. As he closes this passage in chapter 5, he exhorts us about the works of the flesh. We read that about the numerous works of the flesh that are recorded by the apostle's pen, contrasted by the works of the Spirit. And he says that if you're in the Spirit, he said, there is nothing to, to keep you from walking in the Spirit. You don't have to walk in the, in the fleshly appetites. And I'm, I'm still thankful for that as well. I'm grateful today for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I spent my time in prayer this morning, and as I did so, I was able to walk out here and say, God, I don't have to be dominated by my fleshly appetite, by my carnal thoughts, by sensuality or immorality that's hid in my flesh, but I can mortify. Do you know what mortify means? You know, they call a mortician, those that deal with the dead. Mortification means to put something to death, and so I can put to death my own carnal appetites so I can walk among you by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. Because if I walk by the flesh, I'm going to bite and devour somebody. But if I walk in the Spirit, I'm going to build up somebody, right, and bring, and bring glory to God's name. And that's how Paul is writing this passage about using our liberty to serve one another. And so if one of the body of believers that we are placed in and in united to as it transitions, and I want you to pick up chapter number 6, and let's begin to look at this here in verses 1 through 5, and we're just going to break this down as we lead to our dialogue about verse number 10. In verse number 1, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, talk about him. Gossip about him. Or ridicule him. Right? Post on Facebook about it. Right? Put it on Instagram. Tear him down. Kick him while he's down. Right? That's not what the apostle said, is it? The apostle said that if a man is overtaken in a fault, if you're really spiritual, what are you going to do? You're going to restore him or her in what? A spirit of meekness. You're going to go to him or her in that spirit of meekness and humility with the intended hope that that brother or sister can be restored to faith and to the household of faith. Does that make sense? 
all the while you're going to guard your own heart and mind lest we too become tempted. I've always warned people, I said, be very careful that you swim out to save somebody who's drowning and you drown yourself. So guard yourself and guard your heart if you're ministering to somebody who's caught in a vice of sin. But the point that I'm making here in this particular passage, and the reason why I brought up that the book of Galatians was not written to the bishops and the deacons, when Paul is writing this, typically when we think of somebody that's kind of overtaken in a thought or a fault, we think, well, the pastor, Jojo's going to go to them, or Jace is going to go to them. But that's not what this exhortation says. It doesn't say that the pastor, but it's saying you should know enough about your brother and sister and you care enough about them that when you know that there has been a fault in their maybe their walk with God or maybe just the struggles of life that you're going to go to them and you're going to try to help them right there's a responsibility that God's putting upon the church We've allowed too much to happen in America, and what we do is we think that it's the pastor's job to always minister to everybody, while we just sit back and be ministered to all the time. That's not the case. Matter of fact, if you'll read the Word of God correctly, our responsibility is to train you in ministry so that you can serve one another in love, so that you feel equipped, and that's what this message is about, and that's what this exhortation that Paul gives and so Paul said, consider yourself lest you be also tempted, but go to that person and restore them in the spirit of meekness. And then verse number two is infamous, and it's very powerful at the same time. Look what Paul said. It's what I wrote in my notes. It's a famous exhortation. Bear ye, y'all read it, it's on the screen. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God through Christ has called you and I to care one for the other. That's what it means to be a part of the household of faith. It's to care for one another. The exhortation of this bear one another's burdens uses the thought of physical weight. That you can help sustain or lift one another. If somebody that you see, perhaps it's the weight of life. Perhaps the season that they're going through right now. Perhaps it's poor choices that they've made. Paul's saying that if you've got the strength and the ability, go to them and help lift them. We love the story of the prodigal, or, uh, uh, not the prodigal son, but the good Samaritan that Jesus taught in his parables. When he used the parable of the good Samaritan, the Bible says that when he went to the man that was wounded by the thieves, the Bible says he put him on his own beast. The Samaritan did. Put him on his own beast. And then brought him to the inn. So he walked while that man rode. And then he put him up overnight for at least two nights and paid for it out of his own pocket. And he told the innkeeper, help take care of him. When I come again, if there's more expense, I'll pay for that as well. How many know that's bearing one another's burdens? That's helping people. The exhortation uses this thought. Paul connects this with the contrast to the law of Moses. For he said, this is the law of Christ. This is what you can use your liberty for. If you're really Christ, then you will willfully seek to aid your brothers and sisters in their walk of life. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul is saying? Verse number 3 and 4, then Paul takes it a little bit farther. He says, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work. And then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And I love this one. I want to go ahead and expound upon it. Paul, in essence, is saying, don't just talk about it. Sometimes you got to do more and pray about it. This is the, this is the Christian cop-out. Oh, I'll pray about it. 
Sometimes you need to do more than pray about it. You need to react to it. You need to put your money where your mouth is. You need to get in your vehicle and go over and see somebody. You don't need to just back up. And, you know, a matter of fact, that's what John said. John warned through his epistle, the beloved John said this. He said, if you say to somebody, go that's hungry, go and be filled, or that's naked, go and be clothed, and you've got food and you've got clothing, he said, what have you really done for them? And so I see that in the Apostle Paul's writing here as he's exhorting us. He's saying, stop talking about it. He said, stop, stop talking, but actually do it. And so I wrote it in my notes. Obviously, this carries the connotation that if you're really a part of the household of faith, then you're going to have to become involved in the lives of other people. And there are some folks that don't want to be involved in the lives of other people. And we use uh, this as an excuse. And so I wrote it again this way, and I said, well, some people say, well, I'm a loner, or I don't like, like crowds, or I'll just sit at home. No, no excuses. Come on, let's get rid of the excuses here today. No excuses. Did you know the word church that we are so familiar with in the Greek is ekklesia? You've heard me say it before. You know what it means? It means the called out ones. But what does it mean called out of? Called out of your homes into a public arena. And I know what happens in the hill country. In the hill country, we either get, for whatever reason, we just choose to be a lone ranger, isolated. I've told you the reason why I can be a pastor in the hill country is because I is one. Because I'm a hillbilly because I am one. And I know the tendency of hill folk. The hill folk are we can live with you and we can live without you. That's good and bad. Right? It's good in the sense that we're not always dependent upon other people. Which I'm going to get there in just a moment. But it's bad in the sense that we will sit at home and we will complain about other situations. While we ourselves could be helping other people. But while at the same time, we're talking about folks that aren't helping us. It means the called out ones, you're called out to serve God. If you're not involved in the local fellowship, how can you say you're fulfilling the law of Christ? Can you really? I don't think you can. Some folks think they, they can't serve or minister unless it's in some type of authorized, sanctioned ministry of the church. And I believe in, we, we, we talked about it before, it takes about 70-something people on a Sunday morning to make church happen around here. Did you know that? Of the 200 people that might gather, it takes about 60 or 70 that come to church saying, I, I need a badge, I need a, I need a shirt, I need something because I've got to do this. It's an authorized, sanctioned ministry, and I'm, I'm not trying to take away from that in any capacity. But you know what? You don't have to always wait on the badge to pick up the phone and call that brother or sister that you know about that's going through a difficult time in their life. You don't have to have the pastor ask you to go do something that you ought to already know you need to do, right? The Spirit of the Lord's upon you. Now, how about a card that can be sent out in the name of the Lord? How about that phone call or a text? Or what about financial assistance that you might give to someone? Well, why don't you go to the church? Well, God, you are the church. God's expecting you to do something. How about a lunch meeting with someone? Or what about going to the ball game of, of one of, the, of somebody's children here, and you're just there. You don't have. I can remember, Joe, uh, which I took, uh, teased Joe a little bit, me and Sherry. She, for whatever reason, Sherry brought up a Facebook Live of one of Joe and Ann's kids last night at 10.15, right at bedtime. And we watched a close game and a loss right there, and then we couldn't sleep for the next 30 minutes, <laughs> fretting over that game. I remember years ago that Craig Spangler 
And Ron Cantrell came to see my son Aaron play basketball in Pangburn at the time. Aaron played his senior year at Pangburn. And it was by far absolutely the worst game of the year. Absolutely horrific. Me and JoJo could have went down there by ourselves, one arm behind our back, and beat all five of those Pangburn Tigers that night. And that's with us limping. We could have. That's how bad it was. And if you were to ask Ron's deceased and Craig's here today, he would tell you it was absolutely terrible. But how much I appreciate the fact those men went out of their way, sat there through the entirety of that game, just to see my son play basketball, right? And Aaron remembers that to this day. Those are things that you can do. You say, well, Pastor, I can't preach like a, one of the preachers or sing like Shane over the worship team. But you can give somebody a handshake or a hug or a job reference. Man, I'm preaching way better than you are shouting today. But I came along to tell you, as much as you have opportunity, do good. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Unite the church together in love. Encourage somebody who's down. Instruct somebody who's confused. Give up your seat so someone else can receive the necessary attention. The law of Christ is simple. Bear one another's burdens. That's what Paul said. It's a powerful scripture. It challenged my own heart as I read this to make sure that I'm doing more. But I love the fifth verse. Before I get into the tenth here in just a moment to, to, to kind of uh, bring this all together. But pastorally, I love verse 5. As much as I love verse number 2, look at verse number 5. He says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Huh. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. What are you talking about? Is this a, a conflict of doctrine here? Because in the second verse, he said, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But a little bit later, just a few short verses, Paul says, but bear your own burden. Paul's writing is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it does not contradict but actually, what it provides, it provides the necessary balance as a believer. Let me explain what that is. If we are to bear one another's burdens, then the reality is someone is struggling under the weight of life. And we, all, we do everything that we can to assist. But if Paul did not include verse number 5, you know what would happen? We would, because of our carnal appetite and our sinful nature in the flesh, then suddenly we would all become victims. That's what would happen. And some would do nothing while others would attempt to carry the whole load on their own. Man, I'm preaching way, way better than you're shouting right now. I like to balance. This challenges me. It puts a responsibility upon my own life. Paul's adding, bear your own burden. Uh, this is about a mindset. This is about, you know what, I'm going to do my part. I, I might be down to a degree. I may even still struggle with some areas of my own life. But that doesn't mean that I can't still do good. As I still have opportunity, I can have a limp and still help somebody, right? I can still be going through a financial crisis in my own life and still give to somebody that has need, right? I can still, I can still come together with men and women of like precious faith and say, you know what? Even though I still got some weaknesses that I'm still overcoming, I still have a desire in my heart to help somebody else. I'm going to bear my own burden, do my own part, and at the same time, then I know there are times you're the recipient of somebody else's aid. I've, had the, I've been the recipient of other people's aid. 
I've seen people come into my life, me and Sherry. I can remember when our house burned down in 2001. People all over the small community of Shirley all, uh, and, and, and our church family rallied to us. And that was a different season in our lives. And we're not used to being in that season. But I, but I stood back and I watched as people. And I remember, and I've told you this before, but I've seen, I saw people and I learned not to, not to shun it. There was a, a, an impoverished lady, a very impoverished lady that was living on a dark road in Shirley, a place that you would want to turn around if you went down that road. And I'm just saying that with all sincerity. She lived down there. I'd picked her and her family up on the church bus more than one occasion. And after the house fire the following Sunday, she brought me $5. $5. And I couldn't turn it away. Now, I had received resources. God had already started to bless, share, and help us uh, to recover our lives. But who was I? To tell her that even though she's down herself, that she couldn't still be a part about blessing our life in that moment. So I prayed God bless her and her family for the sacrifice that she made to us at that particular time. And so I want to challenge you today. Quit the cultural norm of sitting around wanting everything everybody else has while you do nothing for God's glory or the good of others. I want, to stop, I want to challenge you, stop making excuses. Here's the reality. Life is hard, right? Just face it. And life's not fair. But I want you to know God's favor is great enough to touch each one of us. If we'll allow us to believe. So live your life for the glory of God and for others. So what's a household of faith? Let me begin to shift this message. Notice what he said. And I want to bring this to the close here, a household of faith. I love that. Got it down in my spirit this week, and I just started thinking about it, a household of faith. A household means belonging to a house or a family. It's not just a physical kindred in the, in, in the particular instance, because you can be in somebody's household and connected to their family and not necessarily be a physical kindred, correct? Right? Uh, in Psalm 68 and 6, the, uh, the psalmist says this, God setteth the solitary in families. In the scripture, often used interchangeably, is family, kindred, clan, tribe, families, house, or household. Let me repeat that. I want you to get that in your heart because we're talking about household. But in the scriptures, often used interchangeably as family, kindred, clan, tribe, house, or household. So in Psalm 122, when David said these words, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up into the house of the Lord. And David said, when the families, when the families of Israel go up to the Lord, he's talking, or the tribes, excuse me, when he said the tribes, he's speaking of the families. All the people that were a part of the people of God, they come up and they worship the Lord. Israel was a nation. Listen to this. Israel was a nation. That meant they were the descendants of Jacob, the patriarch Jacob. They were broken into 12 tribes. And within those tribes, there were households or families. In the church, what we have is the church universal. In the church universal, the body of Christ is made up of all believers who are authentically and sincerely born again. Not by just those who wear a cross around their neck or a t-shirt or a bracelet, but all those who have genuinely and sincerely trusted Christ as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. That makes the universal body of Christ, no matter what the sign is outside the building. Come on, amen? 
Beyond this, though, we have a distinction denominationally or branches within the overall body. Often that's a theological distinction. For us, our theological distinction is we are a part of the Pentecostal movement. JoJo said it earlier a moment ago. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're charismatic. We embrace the gifts of the Spirit of God. And then within the branch of Pentecostalism, we are of the Assemblies of God. With the Assemblies of God, then we have this fellowship. This fellowship is known as First Assembly of God of Heber Springs. Now, I thank God today that we have an 80-something year history of men and women who believed God right here and worshiped God right here in this valley. That came together at a time when Pentecostalism was not as embraced in the evangelical movement as it is today. But when they came together in those, day, those days, they were ostracized, and oftentimes they were people, people uh, belittled them and ridiculed them. They were called the holy rollers, and they were, they were oftentimes not in the mainstream of the, of the body of Christ. But you know what happened is God continued to pour His Spirit out over the last 100 years, and the Pentecostal movement has come roaring into the mainstream evangelical church. And there's no silence in us any longer because we believe not by might nor by power, but it's still by my Spirit, saith the Lord. We believe in the power of the Spirit of God. We believe in the anointing of God. We're unashamed to worship God freely. We don't want to see you at a Razorback game on Saturday jumping up and down, calling the hogs, acting a fool, and coming to church and sitting quietly while Jesus Christ is exalted and you don't lift his name up. We want to challenge you. Be radical in your faith. Be a radical worshiper. Praise God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He is great and greatly to be praised. And we choose to exalt his name. Glory to God. And you know what? I'm unashamed of it today. Yeah, you can call me a, a holy roller. I'll roll holy if I need to. We will. You know what? We're not a building and we're not a locality. We are a united fellowship. Men and women, boys and girls, united by our faith in Christ. In this fellowship, this household of faith, we have fathers and mothers. Man, thank God for these moms and dads among us. Thank God for those who, who, who went before us in faith, who are aging among us. Come on, I mean, we, they, they deserve our honor and our respect, don't they? Come on, they're our fathers and mothers. They've got what we need. And I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, you are not that far off from being one of them. I know that. I know that. That's all right. Men and women, boys and girls, we have, we have brothers and sisters. You know what we do? We love, we laugh, and we live life together. We rejoice when, another, when one another rejoices, and we weep when one another weeps. I want to celebrate. One thing I learned years ago, listen, no matter what season of life I'm in, if somebody else is in a season that's entirely different from mine, and it's a season of rejoicing, if at all possible, celebrate with them. So what I'm saying is you may have lost your job this week, and you may be struggling financially. But you hear the testimony of somebody else that got blessed with the job they had been believing for for weeks and months. And they got a promotion that is mind-boggling. Instead of you whining and complaining and being envious and jealous of the blessing of God upon them, you need to celebrate and say, thank God. Thank God I celebrate you. I celebrate the, the, the season of the course of life that you're in. Matter of fact, God, I thank God for that blessing that's upon you in Jesus' name. That's what, that's what we have to do. 
We look for opportunities to do good to all men, but especially, did you hear that? Especially to those that are of the household of faith. Now, what's our distinction within the overall structure of the body? Our faith that unites us is a belief in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is. We believe in the Spirit of God. We believe, we pray for. Do you? I do. Man, I don't take this stage, but I pray, God, let the Holy Spirit. Father, let there be a distinct anointing. What's that mean? It's a smearing. It's a smearing. God, I want that fragrant anointing upon my life. Uh, the anointing had a, per, uh, had a perfume, uh, uh, you know, contained within it, and so it was fragrant. And so whenever the priest ministered and he was anointed, there was that, 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 that fragrance. I want that fragrance of Christ. I want the anointing of God. I want you to come in and say, God, I felt something when I was in that house today. I felt the supernatural power of an invisible God among us. And, and I pray for that, and we pray for that. And you know what? We believe as a church family in the power of faith. We do. You know what? Well, I believe today, I believe that with God, all things are possible. And so if you're a part of our household of faith, let me tell you, you will never be in a hopeless situation. Because with God, say it with me, with God, all things are possible. And we're going to challenge you to believe. Did you know in an age of inclusion, we're still exclusive? Hmm, now I knew it would get real quiet in here. Do you know you can't be divisive, destructive, and be a part of this household of faith? You can't tear one another down, backbite one another, and be a part of the household of faith. You can't profess faith in Christ and live a carnal, sinful life either. Ooh, wow. Somebody go tell the security, keep the doors locked on both sides till we finish this message. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having the seal, the Lord knows those that are his. And so if you're his, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I don't have a problem with folks in the household of faith who have sin in their life, who are trying, who are openly coming and saying, help me, help me, pray with me, God give me this, I'm wrestling this thing out, I'm mortifying the flesh. I have a problem with those that name the name of Christ and they're just living any life way they want to, right? And they've already shut off conviction. They've fallen prey to the apathy and the apostate culture that we live in today. I will help you. If you're trying, I will help you, right? If, you, if you're confessing and you're saying, because I'm exhorted that if my brother sins and if I can help you, I'm going to help you. If you're open and you're responsive and you're saying, dear God, I'm repenting, I'm asking the Lord, I need his help, then we will walk with you and we will trust God to bring you out of it. We'll teach you on a daily basis how to mortify that old carnal appetite. We will. But if you come in here playing the hypocrite, right, and you're all doing all this, dancing around, and you ain't got any true conviction of sin in your life, then that, that, that divides the body. So our faith calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We walk in truth and we mortify ungodly desires and sinful appetites. Choosing a life of sanctification by the Spirit of God. Oh, wow. We do. We, that's, we're, we're a fellowship that believes in the power of sanctification. Sanctification means I'm set apart by God and I'm going to live a different life. Yes, we're still a church that occasionally says, you know what, what you, what you watch on television matters. The movie choices that you make matters. What you read, the music, yes, not just the young folk. 
Right? We think, well, it's the teenagers. They need to know. I'm talking about, uh, to you, listen, you can choose to keep your radio on 101.5. Right? You can. You can choose to put things in your heart that build you up. You don't have to have it on the wolf. Right? I don't want to hear about all that drinking and all that carousing. That's who you used to be. I want to be built up in the spirit. We keep ours on. Well, I want to hear about there's another in the fire so that when I'm going through hell and high water, I know somebody's standing there with me. Glory to God. I want to have that down in my spirit. And so we will challenge you to live life differently than maybe even other churches within this community. But that's just who we are. I believe as the father of this fellowship, and I'm preparing to close, I believe in the blessing of this, the blessing of God upon this household of faith. I believe in it. When I, what do you mean the father of this fellowship? I mean there are brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers among us, but as I have matured in faith, I've accepted the responsibility and the role that God's placed me in as the father of this fellowship. And as I bless my own household and I bless my family, I bless you. And I, you're a part of the household of faith. We are brothers and sisters. This is a family is what this is, church body, church family. When you're a part of this household of faith, you walk in the corporate blessing upon this house. And I want to talk to you about it as I close today. And share with you one little moment in the history of David that just stands out to me as I prepare to welcome new men and women into this household of faith. And we're going to pray a corporate blessing upon them. And I believe that today in Jesus' name. There's a time in the life of David. David is a, certainly a, uh, a tremendous... I don't want to say character in all the word of God, but he is the anointed psalmist of Israel. He's known uh, in scripture as the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's poetic. He was prophetic at the same time. He was also a warrior's warrior, um, but he was also somebody that would worship. Come on, and just like a little child, right? He didn't care. He just worshiped. And, and so he, he's polarizing in scripture when you read about him and you just, and mesmerizing at the same time. And you just, you read about him and you just, and you just say, God, the word says he was a man after God's own heart. How many of you could say, oh, that's who I want to be. I want to be somebody that says, God, no matter what situation I'm in, I want to do it your way. Right? No matter what I feel like. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 6 records the, the story here that I want to just kind of briefly expound as I close and get ready to bring you up here. Uh, and, and minister and, and pray over these that are, that are new to our fellowship. David has not been coronated as king very long. And, uh, and he's zealous, and God's been blessing him. And it doesn't take long to start noticing the blessing of God in your life. Have you ever had that in your life when you just say, you're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I couldn't do this on my, of myself. God had to do this. This was his blessing. David started discerning the blessing of God. God had blessed him. And, and made him king. And then there was something that he wanted to do. He wanted the Ark of the Covenant brought to the city of David. Because the children of Israel had not sought after the Ark of the Covenant in almost 20 years. And if you know the story, you know the Ark of the Covenant is where the, the Law of Commandments have been placed in. And it was the central part of worship to the children of Israel during their Exodus journey and during their days of the possession of the promised land. Because upon the ark was the mercy seat. In the mercy seat, there were two angels that were facing each other that had been beaten out of gold. So, And it was there that the priest on the day of atonement would come in with the blood of a bullock and blood of a goat and confess his sins before God. And, and he would also pray for the sins of the people. It's where God chose to dwell. That's where God said, that was my seat. If there was one seat for the God of Israel, he, the seat that he would sit in, he said, I will sit between the, the angels, the cherubims. David said, we got to, it represented the blessing of God. 
It represented the presence of God. Come on, church family. It was some, David said, I don't know why Saul sought to try to lead the people without the blessing of God. He said, I want it. And so they went after it, and David was so zealous, and they had a worship service unlike any other. And every few steps, they're rejoicing and singing. David is out in front of everybody, but he made a critical mistake. He didn't consult the scriptures of how they were supposed to move the ark. And in his zeal, what he did was he chose a new cart with oxen that had never pulled anything but were still proven. They had been tested, but they had never proved anything in, in work or business before. And so... They place the ark on the, the new cart, and they start this procession. And I'm telling you, the music is sounding, and they're worshiping, and David is dancing and rejoicing. And the Bible says that as the cart, and everything seemed to be going right. I mean, David is excited because he's going to get the glory of God to the city of David, to the house that he's prepared for it. And the Bible says that when they got near the threshing floor of Nacon, the Bible says that, that the oxen stumbled. Y'all know this. Some of you know this by heart. And when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah, one of the priests that was following the ark, reached up his hand to stabilize it. And when he did, when he touched it, the Bible says he was smitten of God. And when he was smitten of God, the Bible says David, I mean, how many know that will shut a worship service down? Right there. I'm telling you, when one of the leaders, when one of the preachers dies in the middle of the worship service, that will shut a service down. And so David didn't know what to do. The Bible says he was afraid of God at that moment. And the Bible says that they, they knew they couldn't travel any further. Something's not right. So they took the ark and they took it to the home of one of the priests by the name of Obed-Edom. David goes home. And he's just down. And this is what was in my heart. Because I want to read a verse of scripture to you though. It says that the ark was in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. But listen what the Bible says about it. The Bible says that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. Listen to this. And all his household. That meant everybody in the house. Walked in the supernatural blessing of God. One preacher years ago preached that. He said Obed-Edom's cow started giving birth to twins and to triplets. He said his students, his children were getting C's and D's until the ark came into the house. And all of a sudden everybody's on the honor roll. Glory to God. I don't know what the blessing of God is to you, but the blessing of God was changing the lives of men and women that were in the house. And that's what I wanted to conclude this message with you today, is there is a supernatural blessing of God upon this house. And if you're a part of this house, you can have the blessing of God upon you, your family, your children, and your children's children. The supernatural blessing of God. I'm going to ask Daryl to join me on the platform today. And I'm going to close this message off. And as just a moment, I'm going to invite a number of people to come up here with us. And we're going to present them to you. And we're going to come together and we're going to pray over them. I love the end of this message. And I'm going to close this off right. I started to omit this, but I don't want to omit it. So David, when he saw the blessing of God on the house of Obed-Edom, he couldn't stand it. He said, i got to have that. we got to get that ark. And he went to the scriptures. How many know you go to the word of God, you'll gain some clarity for your life. And that's when he learned, he said, we, we, not, we, we did it all wrong. He said, we can't put it on a cart, expect the cart to do it. We're supposed to shoulder the presence of God. You've got to carry the presence of God with you. You carry it with you as a priest. 
So the priests are carrying the presence of God. Now David is dancing and rejoicing before the ark. And I heard R.W. Shambach preach this years ago. He said, what a sight it must have been when the anointing of God was walking down the road. Hallelujah. And David is rejoicing. And the scripture says when he got near the city of David, but there was one person that looked out from the upper casement. It was his first wife, Michael. And she saw David dancing and rejoicing in her heart. And the Bible says she despised him in her heart. And when they got inside the city, David delivered a psalm. And people worshiped God. And then David did what spiritual fathers do. He called everybody together. And he gave them a free ribeye steak dinner. I thought about that and said, you know what? We need to do that at First Assembly sometime. Just to honor that passage of Scripture. Because the Bible says, come on somebody, amen. says that he gave them a good piece of flesh. The home of the throat row, a piece of bread. And you're not getting a flagon of wine. But we'll give you some grape juice. I love that passage of Scripture. And he blessed. Here's what he did, and this is what we're going to do. And the reason I'm summarizing, he saw the blessing of Obed-Edom's house. He saw the blessing that was on his house. And he wanted on the people of God. And he spoke. He said he blessed. That's what, did you know, a lot of churches don't tap into that, but we do. We speak blessing. I believe in speaking blessing. When I hear somebody speak a negative word about their children, I correct them. Oh, that little rugged. No, no. That's your heritage of faith. Right? You speak life. You call things sometimes that be not as though they were. You learn that blessing of God. And then David did. He got ready to go back to his house and then speak the blessing over his immediate family. And he was met by Michael. Michael came out. And I thought about that. When David did bless his house, only one person wasn't blessed that day. Michael. Because she was critical and judgmental. And in doing so, she didn't have the blessing of God upon her life. We don't want to be that, church family. We want to be a, pep, a people that welcomes men and women into our fellowship. Men and women are like precious faith. And that you and I can speak the life of God upon them. And we can see their lives elevated by being a part of the household of faith. Amen. I'm going to invite some folks to the church to the front today, and uh, they could come down. If they're not, everybody could be here today for numerous reasons, but I'm going to still call their names out. Is that all right today? Except for one, I'm going to hold back on, but Miss Eva Bird's going to come forward here today. Sitting right here today. I'm super excited about this moment, aren't you, church family? Amen. <laughs> Levi and Heather Burris, are they here today? There they are. Levi and Heather are with us today. Amen. Now, some of these are members from days gone by, and then just for whatever reason, we're just reconnecting them. But I got Tim and Amy Cornett. They were here before I got here. I'm super excited, though, to have part of the fellowship. David and Linda Dye. Listen, if you were not here Sunday night, I meant to show it. David, I forgot to show it. One of the greatest baptisms in the history of water baptism took place. If you, I think somebody put it on Facebook. You got to see it. We baptized David on one end, but his leg came up four foot out of the water right there, levitated. In the, David and Jesus are two of the first that walked on water. 
And so we're excited. It was very excited. Daniel and Naomi Ellis today. Amen. Mr. Chase Galloway. There he is. All right. It's exciting. Clinton Carly Gardner. Amen. I'm excited for each one of these. Eddie Hensley, right there, Risa. Come up with him, Risa, if you want to. Michaela and Eliana Schott, two sisters that have been a part of this church for a long time. Kayla's a sharpshooter. You got to watch her. And, uh, and newly engaged, too, by the way. It's exciting. Amen. Miss Betty Stafford. Where's Sister Betty at? Oh, Sister Betty. Isn't that exciting, church family? Oh, praise the Lord. I'm telling you, I'm like a, uh, a new father here today. Amen. I want to ask you all to take two steps forward and then turn around. If you would, two steps forward and turn around. We're doing this altogether different today. I wanted our church, I wanted you to do something right away. I want you to feel the strength of this church family. Now, many of you have been here for many, many years, and I'm so grateful that you've just chosen to take the next step of faith and join us in membership. And uh, you serve, many of you serve in a lot of different roles already in our church. Uh, and I just want to encourage you if you don't serve in some capacity, you know, find a way. Connect to somebody, a ministry leader of some kind, and just uh, connect if at all possible. Uh, but, but at the same time, we just want you to, we want to say, I represent this church. I love you, and I mean that. I mean, this is family. And uh, as I told you in my sermon, I, I know this is going to shock some, but you're not perfect. But that was not on the membership qualifications. As long as you're trying, we're trying. Right, as long as you're saying, Pastor, man, we're, I'm walking this walk, just help me. We'll walk this walk together, won't we? We'll, we'll journey through the ups and downs. And I'll tell you what, I really uh, value your, your church family that you're joining because I don't believe that they'll bite and devour you. I don't. I believe they're going to love you through the difficult seasons of life. And you're going to give aid to other people. You're blessed to be a blessing, aren't you? You know, you're going to bear your own burden, but at the same time, you're going to bear somebody else's burden and help them. So I want to ask our church family, if you would, I want to ask you to come in and press in. And I want to ask you to just uh, come in and put a hand on their shoulder, if you would, and just, if you would, to just let them feel the warmth. And we're going to pray over you today, and we're going to do more than pray over you. We're going to bless you the way that David blessed the household. Church family, if you're here today, and you see this moment, and you say, Pastor, I want to take the next step, then I want you to... I want you to get a hold of me. We'll have membership class again here in just another couple of weeks if necessary because we want you to go farther than just attending. We want you to be a part of this fellowship. So I want to ask you as you got your hand on their shoulder today, let's pray for one another. and Let's just hold these that are coming in front. Father, I'm so thankful for each of these men and women. God, I know them personally. God, and many in our church family know them personally. And they are awesome individuals. And Father, that as a family, they are unbelievable, and I'm so grateful that you have chosen, Father God, to place them within the live stream of Heber First Assembly of God. Father, a, fe a fellowship of a rich history 
of men and women anointed of God, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray today, Father, in the name of Jesus, that the Spirit of God would be upon each of these new members of our fellowship. God, the Spirit of God, the blessing of God, I pray that you will bless them coming in, and I pray that you'll bless them going out. I pray that you'll bless them in the storehouse, the field, and the basket. I pray that they'll be the head and not the tail. They'll be above and not beneath. They'll walk in health, God, and prosper as their souls prosper, God, in the name of Jesus. I pray that there'll be a a legacy of faith that, Father, is so established in their home and in their household that their children and their children's children will be directly affected of the faith of these men and women that are joining this fellowship today. God, I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that as a body, that we would open our arms wide to the gifts and the callings of all those that are here today. We would welcome them and we would receive them, Father, and they would make us stronger. Come on, let's pray that God, let the gifts and the callings of all those that are under the sound of my voice today that we have called forth, God, let them make this church family stronger and healthier, able to do more in this community than ever before. Because you said, as we have opportunity, let us all do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. So thank you for this sacred moment. Now, church family, I want to pray one. I want to ask you to pray a closing prayer, and I'm going to come down. I'm going to give them these cards, and then I want to ask you to come by if you can, if time allows for you, to greet them in Jesus' name, to greet them and just welcome them today. Father, I pray for beyond those that are beyond the borders of this of the membership. There are those God that are a part of our family but haven't taken that next step of faith. I pray that there be something in their heart. Something in their heart that says, you know, Pastor, I want to have a greater sense of belonging. I want to have a deeper sense of connection to this church family. So, God, in the days and the weeks ahead, let us repeat this experience in this moment over and over again as you add to this household of faith. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And all God's children said, amen and amen and amen. And we're going to...